Welcome to RADcast, a series of youth-created podcasts showcasing the Allegheny Regional Asset District, RAD, which provides financial support to Allegheny counties, libraries, parks and trails, arts and cultural organizations, regional attractions, sports and civic facilities, and public transit. I'm Morgan McCray. Joining me this week is Auto Chuck. This episode includes segments on the August Wilson Cultural Center, the Bulgarian Macedonian National Educational and Cultural Center, and the Carnegie Free Music Hall and Library. Our first piece is the August Wilson Cultural Center. This is one that I have been to a couple times really? to see performances. I have never been. Actually, I'm not really like the most educated on like what the August Wilson Cultural Center could even like provide. I've seen a couple of performances there by local African American dance organizations. Oh, um, just on like routine field trips and things like that. I like going every mm. year. Just and incredibly you know. like culturally engaging too, which I really do appreciate. Yeah. Right, and I think that's what this piece will really show us. So let's yeah. give it a listen. Let's into it. The August Wilson Center was created to celebrate the contributions of African Americans to American culture, art, music, and theater. You know, as one of the nation's leading multidisciplinary organizations for Black arts and for Black culture, the center shines as a platform for visual and performing and even teaching artists who advance the rich legacy of the namesake, August Wilson. Art, music, dance, storytelling, idea exchange, and so much more. All of those things go to make the center very special. That was David J. Atkins, the Vice President of Marketing and Technology for the August Wilson Cultural Center. He has been following the August Wilson Cultural Center's journey for nearly 10 years. I interviewed him to get more insight about the organization as a whole. The August Wilson Cultural Center is fully equipped with anything that an organization or group may need to utilize their space to the fullest of their abilities. We happily host contracted private events of all types. Our rental spaces are available for corporate functions, receptions, performances, rehearsals, meetings, you name it. We even have a brand new cafe kitchen, along with a variety of different multimedia and multipurpose spaces. The August Wilson Center also has some exhibits of their own, but the one that caught my eye was the writer's landscape. It is a 3,600-square-foot permanent exhibit that explores the people and places in August Wilson's 10 plays. Each play helps to exemplify the tapestry of African Americans in the United States. The exhibit opens to a room dedicated to August Wilson's writing process. He didn't have a college education. In fact, he dropped out of high school after being accused of plagiarism. But he didn't need a degree to get inspiration to write. He found inspiration all around him. He grew up as an avid reader and observer of life as it moved around him. He grew up sitting in a Carnegie library and reading those books and sitting in restaurants in the Hill District and standing on street corners and listening. He liked to call his inspirations the four Bs, the blues, the art of painter Romare Burden, the writing of Amir Baraka, and the writer-poet George Lewis Borge. Through the four Bs, August Wilson has created what is now called the American Century Cycle. David says that August Wilson's characters are real and recognizable, especially inside of the African-American community. These characters embody the life and tragedy of black people in America throughout the 20th century. For instance, one of the more prominent characters that stuck out to me was Aunt Esther. She was only on stage for the first play, Gem of the Ocean, but her presence was mentioned and felt throughout the century cycle. In the writer's landscape, the Gem of the Ocean exhibit has Aunt Esther's red house door, but by the end of all the exhibits, Her door was gone. 
she spanned over 300 years of Black history within August Wilson's plays. Her character embodied the collective history and culture of the African diaspora. She reminded us of the past while at the same time helping us shape what our future would be. I asked David what his favorite August Wilson play was, and his response was one of the best I had ever heard. When you sit down to consume an August Wilson play, it is not sitting down to have a McDonald's cheeseburger. It is sitting down to have Thanksgiving dinner. You need to sit, you need to take your time, and you work your way through all of these movements, and then you need to stop for a moment and digest. In the end, David was torn between the piano lesson and Jitney. His reason was that you could clearly see the pain and angst that the characters were going through. If you don't know a lot about the piano lesson or Jitney or any of the American Century Cycle plays, the Writer's Landscape exhibits thoroughly explained each and every one of them. August Wilson wrote his plays based on what he knew and what he observed. He even wrote about being LGBTQ in the 1920s. In every one of August Wilson's plays, you can find a character that you can relate to. If you are sitting and watching one of his plays, you're going to say, hey, that reminds me of uh, my uncle or my cousin. The characters embody the comedy and tragedy of daily life as a Black person in America. The relatability between real life and August Wilson's plays are what, in my opinion, make his plays such an American phenomenon. The fact that August Wilson Cultural Center has an exhibit dedicated to him and is named after him shows that they are trying to help educate the Pittsburgh community on August Wilson's legacy. The August Wilson Cultural Center is rapidly becoming a space where people can come and create their own Pittsburgh legacy. To learn more about the August Wilson Cultural Center, visit awaac.org. I really love that piece, especially mm-hmm. the analogy at the end. Oh my god, yeah. And I learned so much. I only knew about August Wilson through his um, play Fences and that I won the Pulitzer. But him as an individual and the cultural center as a whole, I really wasn't that aware of. So being able to learn about it so intimately through Camille and through her guest, it was so inspiring too because I was able to realize the impact that the center could have on young Black creators and people who want to be there to learn all the same. It's amazing. And I think it's great that that space serves not only as a space that can be rented out to different people and different Mm -hmm. groups and has so many uses it also has a deep and rich history really embedded in it I think Mm -hmm. that's like super important you're not Mm -hmm. just going to see a play you're going to experience this culture and Honestly, I was wondering why it was named after August Wilson. And now that I see it, I do think that like this is one of the best uses behind his name is giving back to this community that has really nourished him and his writing for so many years. Mm -hmm. And by shaping and acknowledging our past, we create our future. And in turn, we build a better environment for everyone. It's just amazing to see that really like play out in the center. And that piece just really did a great job of telling us everything Mm -hmm. we need to know about it. And honestly, it makes me want to go back. Mm-hmm. Makes you want to visit for the first time. <laughs> Up next, we have a piece about the Bulgarian Macedonian National Educational and Cultural Center by Katie Green. It really sounds like it has a deep and rich history. The fact that it's educational and cultural really just tells me mm-hmm. this is like a lot more than just a yeah, center for people the, to gather. Exactly. The fact that it's more than a museum, more than a, a center, like you were saying, a place, it really does invoke like a lot of questions to me. I'm thinking like, what exactly does this area have that makes it so compelling and I'm really excited to like see like everything this place has to offer which Katie will tell us about right now. In the 1930s Pittsburgh was a city of steel 
At this time, many Bulgarians and Macedonians immigrated to the area, drawn not by the steel mills as many other immigrant groups were, but by possibility and a bustling economy. They were entrepreneurs who preferred to start their own businesses in the area, and at one point, there may have been as many as 20 Bulgarian bakeries in Pittsburgh. These different ethnicities and grueling industrial jobs led to many ethnic clubs sprouting up across the area as workers searched for community and a feeling of home. The Bulgarian and Macedonian National Education and Cultural Center is one of these clubs formed in the 1930s that has survived to this day. Ed Markov, the BMN ECC's board president, gave me a tour of the center. He told me about their current function as well as the services originally provided by the center in the 1900s. What my grandfather and the original officers did, it was a facilitation for the immigration of the Borgerians and Macedonians into this western Pennsylvania area. They get them acclimated, assimilated into the culture. While the center provides education and a place to gather for the descendants of older generations, it also continues its original mission and helps new immigrants to find opportunities. Jack Latinov operates a bakery out of the center's kitchen. This helps build Jack's life in America while also honoring his heritage. Moving to a new country is a big step, especially when you leave behind your language and your people. Many Bulgarian immigrants face the reality of raising their children in a culture different than their own. However, the center's Bulgarian school offers a solution to this. It teaches children Bulgarian language, surrounding them with the sounds of their parents' home. In 2016, the school was accredited as a Bulgarian school abroad by the Bulgarian Ministry of Education and Science. Another of the BMN ECC's goals is to preserve the history and culture of Bulgaria and Macedonia. The Bulgarian and Macedonian National Education and Cultural Center is home to a library and museum which include Bulgarian artifacts and books, as well as some of the center's own history. This is a very interesting picture up here. It was the dedication dinner in 1936. And in that picture, there were a couple hundred Bulgarian Macedonians. And somewhere in that picture is my grandfather, is my dad, is my aunts and uncles, and a lot of the old-time Bulgarian Macedonians. I'm sure that everybody in that picture right now is currently deceased. During the tour of the center, I also visited their dungeon or wardrobe area. This is our wardrobe area. And here we house all of our costumes, all of our artifacts, and all of our pictures. And a lot of the costumes are museum quality and are for our dance group. This dance group is the Otets Paisi Performing Folk Ensemble. Named after a monk who wrote the first comprehensive history of the Bulgarian people, the professional level group is the oldest continuously performing folk ensemble in the United States. They perform regularly at festivals, have even performed in Bulgaria and at the United States Library of Congress. Less experienced dancers can join the Danka Folk Ensemble, which is also hosted by the BMN ECC. While both of these dance groups aim to highlight Bulgarian and Macedonian culture by performing dances from all seven ethnographic regions of Bulgaria, they welcome non-Bulgarian dancers with open arms. The Bulgarian Macedonian National Education and Cultural Center also includes a mural that was commissioned to celebrate their 90th anniversary. This mural features 10 current members of the Otets Paisi Performing Folk Ensemble, wearing traditional Bulgarian costumes from the BMN ECC's collection. The mural is a tribute to immigration, unity, and diversity. You can interact with the Bulgarian and Macedonian National Education and Cultural Center by visiting their collections, becoming a member, donating, or renting their space for events. For more information, you can visit bmnecc.org. All right, so we have Katie Green, a senior from Woodland Hills High School, and we are going to ask her a couple questions. Hi, Katie. Hello. 
Hey Katie, so I basically had one question that was um, regarding the man who gave you a tour during your segment. What was he like? Did he share any particular insightful anecdotes or perspectives that you couldn't really capture in the segment? Yeah, I actually got a lot of anecdotes from him. He was pretty old and his family had a long history with the center, so he had a lot of stories um, that were very personal to him that didn't make it into the piece. I think one of them, he traveled to a church in Bulgaria and he took a picture of it that was actually in the archives that he had framed. And I'm sure that what he was able to offer you added so much to the experience too. So that was really insightful, yeah. I really loved your piece, Katie. I thought it was just like, you know, really gave a really well-rounded perspective of what the center is. And you mentioned the fact that the way that it's an educational center, you mentioned that they have a school and they do teach the Bulgarian language, younger children, and some of the history. So I wanted to know, is there anything else you can tell us about that educational center or why you think that kind of reflecting on that heritage is important for younger generations of Bulgarians? I don't know. I think the coolest thing to me was that it was run by members of the center in the basement of the center. So it really is just this small community preserving their heritage because it's important to them. Yeah, when you're part of like the same background, that connection to people who are like you can mean so much, especially when you're like deviated from it, like where you are. It's it means a lot. It's so impactful to everyone, the children and the teachers alike. A final question I had for you, Katie, was in your piece you mentioned the fact that they, being the center of course, are particularly impassioned about um helping immigrants, particularly like Bulgarian immigrants, acclimate to their new environment. Were there any other notable ways that they were able to accomplish that goal that you can remember? I think the only strong example they gave me of helping an immigrant was Jack Latinov, who is a Bulgarian baker who moved to the area, and he was operating out of the center's kitchen and then selling his goods at farmer's markets. As an immigrant myself, hearing stories about other people and their experiences, as diverse as they are, and they definitely can be, it's a really compelling topic to me because I feel like it reveals so much about like the systems in place that like help these people out, but also like the strengths and the struggles that people have to go through to really acclimate to a new place. And I feel like it's really inspiring too to learn about. I agree. And I think that Bulgarian culture in general sometimes can go a little unheard in the Pittsburgh community. We hear about Mm -hmm. a lot of majority cultures in Pittsburgh. So it's great to have a center that is so rich in history straight from the experience. Thank you so much for taking the time to go out and explore this new culture and bring it back with so much insight. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. So next we have a piece by Sol Widor on the Carnegie Free Music Hall and Library. Recently, I attended a free seminar on the Great Women of Jazz at Andrew Carnegie Free Library and Music Hall in Carnegie. Out of 2,500 libraries that Andrew Carnegie funded around the world, this building is one of only five that he endowed directly. I got a bit lost while looking for the hall, but the staff were very kind in directing me. Eventually, I found the hall where the seminar was taking place. The entire lecture was absolutely incredible to listen to. Irene Monteverde, who led the session, is a PhD student in jazz studies from the University of Pittsburgh. She talked about the gender roles in the development of jazz, especially for women of color. She talked about the loss of content around the eras of great man narrative, where we spent so much time and resources on famous male figures that the smaller voices of the generation are lost. She talked about the deconstruction of masculinity and femininity, of acting your gender on stage and in music. Monteverde also spoke on the negative impact of ignoring gender norms in a music scene that was male-dominated. I like jazz. I like most music. I'll listen to most things. But I grew up as a heavy metal fan, and that's a niche in music that's not for everyone. 
When people think of metal, it's primarily white men screaming. Eventually, I began questioning my gender. In 2022, I'm still a heavy metal fan questioning their gender. As someone who is non-binary and a fan of all kinds of music, it can be difficult to deal with these expectations and norms on gender because it comes with everything, especially metal. It's a large community with many genres inside of it, but the idea of metal as a whole being satanic or evil isn't a new thing. Neither is the idea of the LGBTQ community being sinful. Hearing Monteverde speak on issues from the 18th century and those being something I could link my own experience to resonates with me. It's not a new thing, but without knowing and acknowledging it, we can't try and change it. What really spoke to me in the lecture was Monteverde's use of oppression women and jazz faced, because it is something I can relate to. Music in all its types helps me and many other people express their emotions, and it's no different with jazz. Being able to speak on these similarities is hard. Finding these voices can be even harder. As the name suggests, most events at the Free Library Music Hall are free to attend. For more information, visit carnegiecarnegie.org. Saul's piece was really interesting because I did not know that there was like a music hall and a library that were connected. Mm -hmm. So I do think that's a really important aspect of it. But I also love Saul's piece because it was like they actually went to something that was put on and could like gain so much personal insight Mm -hmm. about the lecture that they attended. They were so engaged from like a physical standpoint of like a showing up and attending the seminar. But they were also like it resonated with them really heavily. And you could see that interaction they had emotionally with the words that they were given and like with the experience that they had and the intersection between music and identity is so like personal and so important sometimes because we really don't think about like all of the political and social details that come within the music that we listen to but like Saul said it it is very important and it does resonate a lot with the listeners yeah it was a really valuable piece that I feel really taught me a lot and also made me think about myself and my own relationship to jazz which is admittedly a genre that I don't listen much to but I want to Yeah, I personally don't listen to a lot of jazz or heavy metal, but I do Mm -hmm. see this stereotype a lot. I have, like, friends that do listen to it. And I do understand the stereotype that it's predominantly Mm male-dominated fields. So in having a question of gender identity but still listening to those fields, I can totally see how that could be, like, personally conflicting. But I am glad that Saul was able to find that personal experience within that lecture and see another person having that same conflict. Yeah, and I feel like Saul's words were really resonant a lot with our listeners, too, because, for example, my girlfriend, she's a really, like, heavy metal enthusiast, and so I feel like through music, I'm able to find so much about myself and also find that, like, I'm not alone in that passion. It's going to be a really inspiring thing to hear. Today, we bonded over education and learning and a lot of music and performing art. And thank you so much, Aura, for joining me. Absolutely. I love speaking with you and I love learning together about culture and Carnegie, all the the shebang. It's been a blast. It really has. Yeah. And thanks to the support from Rad, we're able to continue doing these. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Rad. We love you. That was Radcast episode two wrapped up. So we will see you all next time.